welcome you here in this place. Welcome those of you who are online worshiping with us on Facebook, on YouTube. You're on the front row with us. And it was funny because we have our coffee truck here today, obviously. Y'all didn't, y'all didn't miss that, did you? When we, you saw that, hopefully, don't, don't leave. If you didn't, you can get it on the way out if you miss it. Uh, but I, it was really cool. Uh, uh, some of the folks online were like, well, I got my coffee and my donut right here. I'm with you guys online. So I appreciate you all uh, doing that and having that mindset to uh, uh, join with us and drink a cup of coffee and worship the Lord together today. Uh, I want to begin uh, my time with you guys in the Word in just a moment. We're going to look at a couple of passages in the Bible. But I want to start with a confession as a dad. And I know we got some other dads in the room, and I don't know if you feel the same way. This is something we don't always say, but I think that many of us feel. We don't always feel like we're doing it well. We're, we're trying hard, and we may not ever act like we feel like we're not doing it well. We like to kind of keep the, you know, the brave face and the we got things under control, we got this, we got this, we got this. But there's many times if we start actually stopping and thinking about fatherhood, like, I hope I'm not messing this up. Lord, help me to not scar my kids for life. I don't know if I am or not. I remember one time hearing, uh, reading in, in a Christian parenting book that, hey, it's really simple. Uh, you don't have to have all the right answers. They're, they're going to become the same way you are. You're modeling for them the way you act. And, you know, that's going to be the way they become. And I was like, oh, Lord, uh, I'm really worried now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's not what I want necessarily, you know. But I want to confess to you something, though, that I, I ended up not being able to put it into words till way after the fact. There was something I was doing that I did not realize I was doing. I didn't know how to put it into words. I knew that what the way I was going about things weren't quite the way they should be, and it, and it took a while for me to be able to say, this is what it is, but, but here's what I was doing. I'll tell you, sum it up real quickly, it's simply this. I was trying to catch my kids doing the wrong thing, like it was something I was always trying to do, which sounds really bad, right? <laughs> like, wow, yeah, I bet your kids loved you. <laughs> I, I was always trying to do that. Now, the, the motive was pure because in my mind, I was like, if I could catch them doing the wrong thing or right before they're about to do the wrong thing, then I can correct that. I can speak into that. I can apply some teaching to that. And I could protect them from actually doing that or protect them from the consequences of that. It, it, the motives deep down were, were, were pure, but that was, was a problem. The reason it was a problem was because something that God really used my wife, Sherry, to help me to see, that though I was trying really hard to parent well, there was something missing relationally in that interaction. And that was a problem. I had to make a change in the way I was doing my parenting so that I could ensure that when they grew up, and now they're 22 and 20, that we actually had a relationship with each other. Uh, and I had to shift gears a little bit. I had to change my paradigm a little bit. And I did that the best I could, and I hope I'm doing better now. Uh, I remember that one of the local schools, maybe it was several local schools, were doing this cool campaign, uh, Catch a Kid Doing the Right Thing. And what was going on, I remember this well, uh, par- uh, Excuse me, teachers and other people in the school would watch to see if a kid was doing something really cool, catch them being nice to another student, uh, catch them uh, you know, doing something exceptional maybe that would normally not get noticed, and uh, a, a teacher would write that up and send it to the office. And uh, so 
Kids who are in the room, you, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about here. If you're in your classroom and all of a sudden announcement comes on the loudspeaker, uh, Bill Clark, come immediately to the office. Everybody in the classroom does what? They go, nah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what you hear. You're in trouble. Um, but what was cool was what was going on in this school is that would happen and it turns out they were being called into the office to, to get a reward. Uh, to, they give them a little certificate, a little gift for, hey, you know what? Someone caught you taking someone else's tray for them or whatever, you know. And it, I thought that was a really cool campaign. And this is something that I had to shift my mind in thinking as a dad, that I was losing relationship with my kids because I was constantly trying to catch them doing the wrong thing so that I could coach them or discipline them or correct them or speak into that. But in the process of doing that, they were missing some really key relational things from me, and it was causing our relationship to actually suffer. Now, we've been all month long looking at the Christmas narrative, and we spent most of our time in Luke chapter 2 this month looking at that classic uh, Christmas narrative. We're going to jump one chapter forward to Luke 3 today, and we're fast-forwarding 30 years after the birth of Jesus Christ. And there's this incredible moment that Jesus got to experience. In fact, I would say that what he got to hear, what he got to experience is probably something deep down all of us really, really long for in our lives. And what's really cool is it was a miraculous thing. Like, it wasn't just Jesus that experienced. Everyone that was there heard it too and experienced it too. It was a very pivotal moment. In fact, all the gospel writers write about it in their gospel accounts. So let me read it for you. Luke 3, starting at verse 21. It says, when all the people were being baptized, so there was this big baptismal service, basically. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized, too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli. I love that last verse. It's pretty hilarious, right? We know that Jesus is the son of God, the father in heaven. And so the writer, gospel writer Luke says, Jesus was the son, so it was thought of Joseph, but it really wasn't. I love that. It was really cool. So in this moment that Jesus got to experience on the day of his baptism, at this public baptismal service, I mean, heaven opened up, the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and then a voice from heaven coming from the Father said, you are my son, and I love you, and I am pleased with you. This is what was established in that moment. And I believe that deep down in my heart, this is something that I long to hear, that you long to hear. And it's because of that that what we're talking about today is this last thing that you could say. We've been going over the things that you can say to other people that are very life-giving, some of the best gifts you can ever give someone. So today, one of the best gifts you can ever give someone is your sincere well done. Well done. We long to hear these words. Some of us long for it more than others. The way we're wired, we crave those words. Some of us maybe aren't wired so much to have to hear it so often, but deep down, what all of us want to hear is that someone that we are so striving to please actually is pleased with us. We long for those attaboys, those girls 
Gordon McDonald, a pastor and author who's 80 years old now, when he was making this list of five things that you can say that are life-giving to others, he said this, he said, always look for the thing in another person that is worth praising. When you do that, it changes that relationship. When you do that, it enables you to speak into their life, life life-giving, empowering words that are way more powerful than criticisms and naggings and pointing out of things that they could improve on, which is so often what we tend to do. I was talking about my confession as parent, as a parent. I want you parents in the room, you got your kiddos with you of whatever ages they are. I want you to look at them right now, right where you are. And if you're watching, listening at home, and your kids are near you, I want you to take a look at them right now. And as you look at them, yes, Sometimes they drive you crazy. You're looking at that child that can sometimes just, you know, cause you to feel and think things you don't normally think or feel. I understand that. But I want you to know this about those kids. Almost everything that they do and everything they say is to be able to somehow, some way, hear from you a well done. They crave it with all their heart, with all their soul. And for us adults... Some of us are still living our life in such a way, hoping to hear those same words. It's words that maybe we didn't quite get very much growing up. We just so badly want to hear that well done. It's what drives us. It's what we constantly crave more than we even realize. That missing thing deep down in our soul, whether we just want to know that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We just want to hear that good job, that well done. Jesus told a story once to a bunch of people. It's one of my favorite stories he ever told. He told the story of three servants. And each of those servants were given a different amount of money by their master. And their master was going to go away for a journey. He was going to come back. Two of those servants took the money and tried to make a profit for their master. One of those three servants, however, was so scared of the master, so afraid that if they messed up or did something wrong, that the master would do something bad. So they played it safe, buried that money, so that when the master came back, they could just give the money back to him and say, here's your money. And at the end of the story, we find out that that servant who played it safe and was scared was ended up being deep, this horribly scolded by the master, whereas the other two that, that brought about a prophet heard these words from their master. Matthew 25, 23. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I love this parable so much. Part of it's maybe because I'm wired. I'm a type 3 Enneagram, which means I just want to achieve, want to achieve, want to achieve. And you know, hearing this, Well done, good and faithful servant. Like, yeah, that's what I want so badly. But what's interesting is the servant that I can relate most to in Jesus' story is the one that buried the money and played it safe. Like, that's how I tend to want to live my life. Like, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to fail. So I want to bury that and then hand it back. And a lot of people, when they hear this story that Jesus told, their big takeaway is, here's what you're supposed to do. Try to do your best to to accomplish something good for God so that when you die or Jesus comes back, you got something good to show for it. Just strive to live that really, really good life for God. That's often what people's takeaway is from this story. I think it goes way bigger than that. I think you have to dig deeper to say what was going on with each of these servants. 
What made the two servants try to do something with that money for the master while the one servant played it safe because of fear? And here's what I believe the difference is. The difference is two of them actually had a relationship with the master and one of them didn't. I think that's the big takeaway of this story that Jesus was trying to tell. Two of those servants actually loved their master and wanted to try to do something good to show them that love. Whereas one, in the story that Jesus told, says, I know that this master is a hard man. He's a hard man. He's a hard dude. He does hard things, so therefore, this is the way I'm going to play it safe. And this is something I wrote down for my own self, and I want to share it with you. If your Christianity is void of a relational component, then you will live a religious life that misses the point and dreads God. I think that's a good description of the servant that buried the money that the master gave them. No, so I'm going to call myself. I I, I prayed and took a step of faith and checked a box. And and man, I I just, I don't know what else to do other than just try to do my best. And hopefully my good outweighs my bad. and, And hopefully this and that and the other, you know. And there's this void of relationship that exists there. And I think so many people, this describes their Christianity. There really isn't a, a relationship that exists. Instead, they, they're trying to live a life that people would look and say, well, you, you're, you got some thou shouts that you try to live and some thou shalt nots that you try to live, and you seem religious. But deep down, we live in this dread of God. And He doesn't want that for you or for me at all. It's not what He desires at all. Yesterday, I was on Twitter, and I get on Twitter during Kentucky basketball games because I find it very therapeutic for some reason. So as I was scrolling on Twitter, I actually came across a tweet that is a quote of the late Billy Graham, who I still believe in my lifetime is the greatest voice of the simple, powerful gospel. Christianity is not really that complex. And this was the quote that they put out there on Twitter yesterday, directly from Billy Graham. Don't leave Jesus in the manger. Don't remember Him only at Christmas. Instead, learn to walk with Him every day as you pray and read His Word and ask Him to help you. That's Christianity, guys. That's what it is. It's an actual relationship with a real person that you get to walk with, that you get to talk with. And He's given you His Word so you can learn more and more about Him. You can commune with Him. You can talk with Him. You can really get to know Him through His Word and through prayer. It's a relationship. You shouldn't walk through life just being religious and dreading God. That's not what God ever, ever intended. Jesus was reminding everyone with His story about the servants that this thing is a relationship. It's not religion at all. That in fact, God wants to give you the same thing He gave Jesus Christ at His baptism. Where He speaks and echoes these very words into your soul too. You are my son. You are my daughter. And I love you. And with you, I am well pleased. I want to ask you, do you believe that God feels that way about you? Do you believe that God offers you those, those very same words? 
You're like, nah. if you're like me, deep down, you just want to say, well, that was for Jesus, but that was not for me. Well, I have something to show you today. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. I want to read this to you. It's the last passage I want to read to you today. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So in other words, when you take a step of faith and put your trust in Jesus, you become a child of God. Just like Jesus is the Son of God, you become sons and daughters of God. Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, you're a child of God. Verse 27, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. This is a really cool word picture. You are clothed with Christ. In other words, you are enveloped in Christ. You are enrobed with Christ. Another verse in the Bible says you are hidden in Christ. A good way to think of this through is you're putting on this huge costume from head to toe so that when God the Father looks at you, He doesn't see just you. He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. You are clothed in Christ. And it's another thing that he reminds us in verse 28 is that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Everyone who's a child of God stands on level ground before God the Father. None of us is better than the other one. There is complete and utter unity in the family of God. Isn't that awesome? And then he says this one last thing, which is so cool. If you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, I know that sounds really weird, bobbly. What does that even mean? An heir inherits something. And the Bible says we are co-heirs with Christ. So in other words, everything that Jesus stands to inherit from God the Father, so do you, so do I. If we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we are heirs just like Jesus is. So I'm going to say it to you like this. And I want this to really sink in to your heart and your soul right now. What the Father says to, feels about, and does for His Son, He says to, feels about, and does for you. What God the Father says to the Son, Jesus, He says to you. How God the Father feels about Jesus the Son, He feels about you. What He does for the Son, He does for you. Can you let that sink in for just a moment? This is not me trying to be clever. This is what it says in the Bible today. This is your reality. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you too get to hear the words, You are my child, and I love you. And with you, I am well pleased. And I have this sneaking suspicion that so many of us who maybe years ago, maybe even decades ago, have had this moment where you ask Jesus to save you and to forgive you of your sins, which is the most best, it's the best decision, most important decision you could ever make. I have a feeling that you just you parked in religion and never jumped into relationship. And that's what I want you to understand God is saying to you right now. Stop being religious and dreading me and live in the well done of the Father. Be enveloped in the peace and the hope and the love and the joy that comes from knowing that you already have His well done thanks to Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? I want to give you a couple of next steps to consider taking today. The first one is simply 
place your faith in Jesus. If you've never done this, I invite you to do this today. We've offered this every, we pretty much offer this every Sunday. (laughs) Because you just might be watching and listening online right now. You might be sitting in this room right now. And it's finally clicking. The Holy Spirit is finally opened up your eyes spiritually to see that, wow, wait. Jesus did all of this for me. And I've never really believed him. Listen, I had that moment when I was 15 years old. I could quote Bible verses. I knew it here, but I didn't believe it here. And maybe today's the day for you to finally put your faith in him. To do what it says in Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've never done that, I invite you to do it in a moment when I pray out loud. You can pray right where you are, wherever you are watching or listening, here in this very place in this room, you can call on God's name and begin this relationship with the Father today. But I offer you another step of faith. Start freely giving away well done to those God has put in your life. I know a lot of people that they they can't help but see all the bad around them. (laughs) They can't help but, but see all the criticisms. I think our culture, I think our society has driven us in that direction. Wouldn't you agree? What's your hot take? What's your opinion? Post it, tweet it, whatever, right? But what if we were to flip that script and start looking for things worthy of praise in spite of all the negative and start giving out well-dones to people around us, all around us? That would be countercultural. That might spark a movement. It might cause someone to ask, why are you like that? Why do you say that? And you could point them to the living hope of Jesus Christ. And maybe them hearing your well done might be the very thing that helps them to one day understand that God offers them a well done for eternity. But it starts with you just simply saying, well done. Good job, boy. I appreciate you. Thank you. I see something in you. Say it to the people that are under your roof. Please do that. Please do that. It is life-giving. And there are people that are in your closest circle are desperate for those words. And you can give those life-giving words to them. But you can give it away to someone at the drive-thru window today and change their day, maybe ultimately even change their life. Would you begin to speak these words freely to those around you. Let's go to the Lord together now in prayer. Will you bow with me? And while I pray out loud, if you are watching or listening online or you're in this room right now and you've never called on the name of the Lord and asked Him to save you, you can enter into this glorious eternal relationship with the Father right now by simply calling upon His name and asking Him. Pray a prayer like this. Oh, Father in heaven, I believe you sent your son Jesus to die for me. Would you please forgive me of my sins and make me your child today? I want you to know that if you pray a prayer like that right here, right now, that starting today, you are his son or daughter forever, for eternity. And he wants you to hear his words. You are my child. I love you. And with you, I am well pleased. You bring me great pleasure. And now for the rest of your days on this earth, you get to live gloriously and peacefully in the well done of the Father. Oh Lord, thank you for that well done. 
We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But we receive it in faith. And Lord, we want to spend the rest of our days living our life just walking with you, growing in you, being used by you to speak well done into other people's lives. And help us to do that, God. Help us to be well done speakers to the people around us so that others will know your great, great love. Lord, help us to do this, we pray. In the name that is above all names, the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, thank you for worshiping with us online, here in person today. I want you to know this. We love you. We want to walk with you. We want to encourage you. We want to pray for you. And if you took a step of faith today, or are thinking about it even, let us know by texting the word GIFT to our church number, 859-356-3162. We would count it an honor to celebrate whatever faith decision you have made, but also to help you and pray for you and encourage you, okay? And guess what? This is only the beginning. We've been talking about the best gift ever all month long. 2020 is almost over. (laughs) So I don't know what 2021 is going to be like. It's got to be better, right? At least I'm hoping, I'm thinking that way. But guess what? No matter what the next year holds, if you have the best gift ever in your life, you got everything you need to make it through whatever lies in your future. So as we walk out of this place and as you click off of here online, offline in just a moment, I want you to know this. Jesus loves you. He wants to walk with you every single moment of your entire life. And he is the living hope. And you can live in that hope today and the next day and all through 2021. So let's strive to do that together, all right? All right, God bless you guys. You're dismissed. Have a great rest of your day.